Well, let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 26, and we'll read verses 12 through 33. We'll pick up where we left off with Isaac's experience, where he remains in the land of Canaan because he believed God's promise to provide for him during the famine. We see that he did fail to trust him concerning his own protection and his fear of Abimelech, but we see now that we go into to this passage found in Genesis 26 and verses 12 to 33, that Isaac returns to a life of faith and, and God blesses him because of that faith. And so Genesis 26, will begin at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them, that is, the wells. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek which means contention, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, which means hatred. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means enlargement, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then we went up, from there to Beersheba, which means the well of oath. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahurzath, one of his friends, and Philcol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me, and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, <laughs> they have a short memory, but you, we've done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba, 
Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So here we see God's blessing on Isaac. But we also notice that God's blessing does not mean that God's people are exempt from trials. In fact, it seems like the more God blessed Isaac, the more trials that that he had. Sometimes God's blessings on us are actually a source of contention with others. In this case, they envied Isaac. It says that, that he had his crops produced a hundredfold. That, that's nothing short of a miracle in that day and with the technology and the, and the environment in which he had to live. A crop that yielded a hundredfold was, was a rarity. And it was also clear that it wasn't something that was in the entire zone because apparently the Philistines didn't prosper as much as Isaac did. This is clearly God's divine blessing on Isaac. But it became a, a source of, of contention between Isaac and his neighbors. His flocks and herds, they multiplied exponentially. And apparently the, the Philistines doing the, the same farming with the same technology and everything else, they didn't do as well. And so that kind of caused them to be a little irritated that Isaac, this stranger to their land, was prospering so much. And so they demanded that Isaac and his family and his servants, that they leave, get out of here. And to make sure that that happened, they began to fill in with dirt the wells that Abraham had dug. And in that day, these wells, it was a matter of life and death. Water is still today. We take it for granted, but water is a matter of life or death. And so in this case, when, when you find these wells that produce well and that are pure, that, that was a commodity that was worth keeping. Well, these Philistines hated Isaac so much that they, they just filled it with dirt just to get, get rid of him. When you stop and think about Isaac's experience, it was really just a foreshadowing of the experience that the nation of Israel was, was going to have among the nations Everywhere that the Jews have been dispersed over the years, they have become the scapegoats for everything that was bad in a society. We've seen it certainly in Germany, but Germany was, is just one case. If you look through history, in every country where the Jews were dispersed and they began to prosper in any measure, immediately those that were native to that country began to hate them and despise them and envy them. And any problem in society, it was their fault, these Jews. This is exactly what happened with Isaac. And so he was, his experience was a foreshadowing of what the experience of the Jews were going to experience throughout history and even today. And they say today that the anti-Semitism and, and the attacks on, on the Jews have increased in the last years. And so things aren't getting any better for them. In fact, they're going to get much worse. But this is what happened. God blessed him, blessed Isaac, and it resulted in contention with his neighbors. And yet, despite the opposition, God always cares for his people. He will always provide what they need when they need it. And we, we see that in Isaac's case, God had given him a calm and a peace 
that he dealt with that contention in a way that honored the Lord and ultimately ended up where the Philistines began to esteem him and wanted to be close to him in order to not only not experience the wrath of Isaac because he was getting so powerful, but to be a part of that blessing that God was was given Isaac. And even that is an experience. It's a foreshadowing of the experience of the future remnant of Israel. Because during the millennium, what are the Gentile nations going to do? What are they going to say? They're going to grab hold of the hymn of the Jew and follow them to Jerusalem where they can worship Jehovah. They want to be associated with the Jew. In that day, they will be. And so we see a, a lot of prophetic foreshadowing in the very experiences of Isaac. Isaac didn't choose in these cases to engage in battle with the Philistines like Abraham had done. Despite the aggressiveness of his enemy, he responded with patience and he was passive with them. And it's so important for us to learn to seek the Lord how we are to respond to the opposition of others. Sometimes, like Abraham, Abraham went to war to deliver his, his nephew Lot. He was aggressive. Isaac, in this case, chose not to go to war. And I believe, as we see the, the uh, account unfold, that it was under the Lord's direction that he didn't fight back. Jesus is the perfect example of, of the divine balance. We see that there are times when Jesus did not hesitate to be aggressive with his enemies. He didn't hesitate to call the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. Uh, that's pretty aggressive. He didn't hesitate to throw the money changers out of the temple. Why? Because that's what accomplished the will of God. That's what accomplished the will of the Father in that situation. But when he was being crucified on the cross, what did he say? He could have called ten legions of angels. He could have chosen the aggressive thing. But that would not have accomplished the will of the Father. And so he willingly submitted himself uh, to that torture of the cross because that's what accomplished the will of the Father. And so in every situation, and, and life is full of conflicts. Some are just because of natural relationships and the, the society in which we live. Some of them are directly related to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in all those situations, we need to, rather than just react and respond according to how we feel in the moment, we need to stop and ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to do or say to bring about your will in this situation and in this relationship? And sometimes it, it may be to, to stand up, be more aggressive, to resist. Other times it may be that, well, they keep filling in the holes. I'll just go dig another one over here. They keep filling in the wells. And we just need to take time to seek the Lord rather than just react and, and respond. Romans 12, verses 16 to 21. We need to heed Paul's exhortation to us in this church age. This is how we as Christians should respond to those that oppose us, whether it be because of our faith or just because of those conflicts that arise in the workplace and in school and even in families. This is an instruction that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, verses 16 to 21, be of the same mind toward one another. So this has to do, this particular 
statement has to do with other Christians. Be of the same mind. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So don't think you know what to do or what to say. Call to the Lord. That one mind that we're all supposed to have is the mind of Christ. Repay no no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of how many men? All men, even the unsaved. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As our society becomes more aggressive and more hostile for so many reasons, again, not just because of the Christian faith, although that certainly is getting worse, but just in general, people are agitated, they're angry, they're bitter. As much as depends on us, may we live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible, but if whatever depends on you, do it. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Okay, that's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Your life is in his hands. If he allows someone to attack you and treat you unjustly, you need to understand that their injustice against you cannot annul God's plans for you and in you and through you. Trust your father. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are times when those that see your patience and your trust that God is taking care of you in that situation and circumstance, it will be a testimony to others. Some will ignore that testimony. Others will want to know where that strength comes from. Where does that patience come from? Where where does that ability to do what's right for others when they do you wrong? Where does that come from? Well, I guarantee you it's not me and it's not my personality because I always want what's, what's right for me. That's my nature. But if I'm able to respond in that way, it's because of the Christ in me. And some will see that. And it is an opportunity for them to accept or reject the Christ that's within you. It's not always possible to live peaceably with some people. That's just a reality of life. And in such cases, we look to the Lord for direction. Let's go to James 3, verses 13 to 18. James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him... Show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So if that's how you respond to unpleasant circumstances and people, that's, that's not of the Lord. For when evil and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's not my personality. That's not yours. It's not your nature. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in every circumstance, in every situation, especially when there's opposition, whatever it might be, when there are those that oppose you, may we take time to seek the Lord's direction and know that 
responding in in kind to those who treat us unjustly is not of the Lord. And so may we learn from Isaac's example. Always desire in every situation to bring glory to God. Don't seek just what you want. Don't demand your rights because you have rights. The question we ask is not what is my right? What is the will of my father? That's the question we must ask ourselves. In verses 24 and 25 of Genesis 26 that we read there, we see that God honors Isaac's passiveness, his patience. We see that God rewards it by renewing those promises of blessing. Once again, notice that they're because of Abraham's sake, because of Abraham's faith, but Isaac, because he personally also believed God for his life, he benefits from the promises that were given to Isaac. And we do the same because of the Lord's sake. We can have all the blessings that are promised in Christ Jesus, but we personally must believe them just like Isaac did. Let me read this commentary from from Wearsby. And he said in in, uh, another lesson that we can learn from this experience of, of Isaac and the when he redug the wells that his father dug after the enemy had filled them in. There's another lesson here for us in that and how that Isaac went back and redug those wells and he gave them the same name that his father did. I like what Wearsby says here concerning that lesson. He says, looking at Isaac's experience from a spiritual point of view, we can learn an important lesson in the Bible. Wells sometimes symbolize blessings from the hand of the Lord. The church keeps looking for something new when all we need is to dig again the old wells of spiritual life that God's people have depended on from the beginning. The Word of God, prayer, worship, faith, the power of the Spirit, sacrifice, and service. These are wells of blessings for God's people. Wells that we've allowed the enemy to fill up. Whenever there's been a revival of spiritual power in the history of the church, it's been because somebody has dug again the old wells so that God's life-giving spirit can be free to work, end quote. Those wells of life, the, the source of blessing for us, the word of God, prayer, service, the things that he mentioned there. As time has gone on in this church age, The enemy has snuck in and filled up those wells. The Bible today is is not even being preached from the pulpits in many denominations at one time were the very the very source of sound teaching, especially concerning salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of those mainline denominations, the well has been so dirtied by men's attack against truth. Well, we don't want that. And so the dirt just keeps piling in until it fills up. And so that well is no longer available in many places. But if we want to be revived, we must constantly maintain. In in Paraguay, I I supervised and paid for uh, the digging of a well by hand, exactly like what they were doing here. And it's it's quite an interesting process. It's very basic digging a hole, but there's a technique to it. 
And you, the way that they have to maintain it round and have to make sure that it's shored up as they go down so it doesn't keep collapsing on them. And, and then once it's built, you've got to maintain it so that the water doesn't become contaminated. Or otherwise, that well, which is, again, life, uh, it'll become contaminated. And this is what God's people have allowed to happen to the spiritual wells of sound doctrine in, in many places. So we have to maintain it. We have to watch for the enemy to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then in places where we've allowed it to happen, we need to go back and say what God said. This is the will of God. This is sound doctrine. And we don't need something new. We need that which was from the beginning. So when we dig it again, we will have that life-giving water. Well, let's just close with a couple. I'll, I'll read some scriptures that that affirm what Wearsby said in his comment there. Let's go to Jude and verses 3 and 4 of the little book of Jude, where we need to make sure that those spiritual wells of truth are kept open and clear. Call them what our forefathers called them. Call them what the Apostle Paul calls them. Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So when it comes to sound doctrine, we are always to defend truth. We are always to protect it. And this is what Jude is saying for in verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to watch out for those who creep in to corrupt sound doctrine. First Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast what is good. We've heard a lot lately of certain communities that their water has been poisoned for one reason or another because of bad plumbing or sometimes because of, of outside sources and environmental contamination. And they have to test the water to see if it's drinkable or not. Well, we need to do the same thing with, with doctrine. Anything that comes forth from, from uh, me or from anyone else that you might listen to, test it. Go to the Word of God and is this... Is this the teaching of the Bible? Is this, is this what God says? Test all things and then you hold fast what is good. Don't let it go. Don't let the enemy rob it. Don't let him corrupt it. Then lastly, we'll read 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me, Paul says, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. That good thing that's the ministry of reconciliation, the whole counsel of God as revealed to the Apostle Paul. We're to hold fast to it, we're to defend it, we're to keep it, and we are to defend it against those who would corrupt it. So are we being faithful to maintain those wells open? May the Lord help us. I think we'll close there tonight.